Ian and I are so excited to share Season 3, Ian Fleming's Moonraker, with you. We're also very excited to invite you to read along with us and support the pod by purchasing the book from our affiliate link, which you can find right in our show notes. You can also find that link and grab some E&E merchandise at our website, eggsandespionage.com. Thank you all for your listening support and enjoy the season. Hi, I'm Ian. And I'm Chris. And this is Eggs and Espionage. The origins of James Bond. Are you kidding me? Those kids are good readers. Oh, those kids are better readers than I am. I would never say this to their face, but they are excellent readers and fantastic <laughs> students. No talking! I want your book report on War and Peace now. I'm taking some college credits. Well, I speaking of reading, did you uh, pour any drink today? Yeah, I actually made... Um, a rusty smoke jumper. A what the what? A rusty sounds smoke like jumper. A, it's what I call like a gay any sex cocktail position. I make with, with smoked maple syrup. Smoked maple syrup. Nice. And today's rusty smoke jumper is actually an old-fashioned. I was going to say, let me guess. It's bourbon-based with maple syrup. Bourbon and maple syrup and seltzer. Beautiful. And seltzer. Like a lot or just a little splash? You know, just to lighten it up. I do love yeah. a simple two-ingredient cocktail. Well, I still have so much Campari and vermouth left over. I just mix those two. <laughs> so it's a... Recently, I put these brandy-soaked pears I have sitting in my fridge from when... You keep talking about those brandy-soaked pears. Yeah. They're so good. I make old fashions with that, too, with the brandy pear, the pear brandy. Mm-hmm. But I put the actual fruit. I still have the actual fruit in. That was nice, too. All right. Missing, Missing person. person. Chapter 19. Missing person. Bonfield stood up as he knocks back his second martini. Gala hasn't arrived for dinner. It's been a strange day already. Bond has just learned that Drax's holding companies are betting heavily against the British currency, but on the eve of a rocket test, they're bound to lose a fortune. Bond had also met with M, and while the two men could smell something wrong, there was nothing concrete to act on. When he calls MI5 to locate Gala, he discovers that she hasn't turned up there either and he knows instantly something has happened to her. Valance, on the other hand, thinks she might have had a fainting spell because Drax had said she was feeling unwell when he dropped her at the bus station. Eager to get to the bottom of this, Bond calls over to Blades and discovers that Drax has just been seated for dinner. Bond has a quick bite himself, then races across town to catch Drax leaving the club. Bond tails Drax as he drives like a nut across London. He's on his way out of town, but makes time one last stop. As Bond rounds a turn, he sees Krebs carrying a semi-conscious gala out of Drax's hideout and dumping her in the back of the car before taking off again. As they race out of the city, Bond realizes that if he's going to stop Drax, save Gala, and solve the mystery of the Moonraker, he'll need to beat Drax's Mercedes in a race to the rocket site. As he slows for a light, he takes the opportunity to lower his windscreen and put on a pair of goggles. It's turbo time. Gala's discovered. Uh, we flash over to Bond, waiting at his favorite restaurant table in London. 
oddly enough, Fleming doesn't uh, drop some Michelin ratings here. Doesn't let us know where he is. That's true. I mean, this whole chapter is pretty distracted from the luxury. I'm starting to believe he like intentionally writes as an author. Like when Bond is distracted, you, the reader, get have to be distracted as well. Yeah. So I don't know. He's in his favorite restaurant. He's drinking martinis. You know. He's yeah. like uh, he's like I had to keep him coming. Order happening. So he's <laughs> yeah, on his second like, one. It's like almost eight o'clock. He's on his second vodka dry martini, with a large slice of lemon peel. And honestly, I've drank martinis by his recipe. They are they are big. Put back like six ounces at least of well, vodka. He sips it, and he's wondering why Gala's late. It's not like her to be late. She should have been here by now. He did visit Valance at around 5 o'clock, and Valance is like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to see Gala at 6. Um, so Bond is wondering, like, well, did she even show up there? Um, and that's not the only odd thing that's been happening today. The, the markets have been going crazy. The markets are going crazy, which kind of reminds me of, like, the whole GameStop thing that's mm-hmm. happened recently, right? Yep. They got together on Reddit. Uh, and they were talking about the Moonraker rocket saying well this thing's not going to work short sell it and so everyone went on Robin Hood everyone went on Robin Hood and started buying up uh, well yeah what's interesting is they're selling the the British currency right they're they're trading on the value of currency and they're saying that English currency is going to be worth less tomorrow than it is today it's a pretty big deal the the Bank of England had to step in and buy British currency to stem the bleeding um, that was started by Drax Metals Limited. In Tangier. Um, the government agents aware of this are kind of like rationalizing it. They're like, you know, it could just be this is random, you know, uh, somebody that he represents. I don't know. It's definitely not him. I mean, the Moonraker is definitely going to work. Right. <laughs> um, but when the guy in charge of your super secret missile program starts betting against it heavily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in his company um you probably should take note and you know yeah so so drax's drax's play here is obviously to short the pounds so that when he crumbles the british economy by blowing up london he now buys back all these british assets at a very very low rate yeah he'll make killing and so Ems notices there's something terribly wrong here, but he's like, I have no jurisdiction. I can't do anything about it. Like, you got to do something, Bond, because I can't do anything, even though there's clearly something terribly wrong here. Right. Um, Valance I, is, like, rationalizing in a way. So MI5 is basically yeah. like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, don't tell the prime minister. Don't tell anyone else. It's all okay. Um, and I love how they know in advance. They're like, there's no reason to think it's going to fail. And even if it does fail... They're just going to cover we'll it up by calling it, it yeah. yeah, technical hitches or something like that. Yeah, it so won't hurt cool. the economy. We're cool. Um, it's cool. So it's all good. It's all good, guys, right? We're good. You're good. I'm good. Are you right. good? We're good. <laughs> We're good. We're good. We're good. M is giving him this briefing, too, and M is like, man, I, I can't tell the prime minister because he's just going to say, no, nah, everything's good. And I, we can't tell Valens, but, man, there's just something about the smell of all this, that smelly, cheating redhead. Uh, but because he feels like he's in a pickle here, even though he's the head of the British Secret Service, he's like, Bond, it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. The crux of every Bond novel. Usually it's Bond that surmises himself it's all up to him. <laughs> yeah, he's not in country. He doesn't get to talk to his mentor. Right. But in this case, he's, they spell it out like in Hollywood-sized letters, like, you're our only hope, Bond. And then M's like, you need any help? And Bond's like, nah. Nah, bro. I got this shit, yeah. 
Like, shouldn't he be like, yeah, actually, I do need a couple people to check out these leads that I've, I've right. run up because you about know, all that Drax yeah. has a he finds out from Scotland Yard that Drax has like a secret hideout, mm-hmm. and it's over at Scotland Yard. We'll, like, we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, and and Bond have a conversation, and he's like, you got to get it done. Bond's like, alright, I'm gonna get it done, and he finds out from Valance that even though Gala's missing and everyone's worried about her. Um, they don't really think it's that big a deal, but they should find her. But, like, it's not too important, but they should definitely find her. The girl may have had a fainting fit or something. I don't know. But, y- you know, I want her found. Yeah. Remember, Major Talon was, was like, MI5, there's something super secret and bad going on. I want to talk to you. And then he was murdered. And then Galibrand just disappears, which is, by all accounts, not at all like her. Right. And so now they're rationalizing again, saying, like, you know, I, I'm sure it's fine. She's... She's a woman, and they faint. So but he, he walks his out. Martini. Well, this is so. This is a flashback to when he was in the office, right? So he, he goes to leave M's office. He quote terrified Leolia Ponsonby by giving her a kiss as he said goodnight. The only times he ever did that were Christmas and her birthday, and just before there was something dangerous to be done. Don't. Hey, Leolia, come here. Merry Christmas, Don't. baby. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> But don't ignore the next line, right? Like, Fleming says, and just before something dangerous was to be done, next paragraph, Bond drank Drank down the rest of his martini. I know. Hey, something dangerous has to be done. Let me get shit-faced drunk before before I go to it. Right? It's like the Wild West. You know, everyone's drinking in saloons and gunning each other down. Yeah, so now it's like 8 o'clock. He's had two very stiff martinis. Probably hasn't eaten since lunch. A phone rings, right? And he, he gets up and they're like, uh, Mr. Bond, Valance from Scotland Yard is on the phone with you. So he goes over, grabs the phone, basically finds out that Gala did not show up to her meeting there. Valance kind of goes through the timetable here. Well, she showed up at 2.30. We did get a call from Drax. They said she you know, was a little bit ill. But now he's worried, right? It's not, it's not like her to not call and not show up, etc. We're worried about this woman's life. But we we don't want to get the press involved. If I send out like a APB or whatever, you know, then I'm gonna to have to answer questions. So can you find her, Bond? <laughs> so not only does Bond have to get to the Save bottom the world. of what's happening with the Moonraker, he's also got to find Gala. Yeah. Fortunately, the two things are tied together. She exactly. probably fainted somewhere. I mean, Drax did say when we talked to him that they dropped her off at a bus station. And she was going to go hang out with friends. Yeah, we skipped that part. He's like, she wasn't feeling ill, so we just left her at a fucking bus depot. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where she was going, but she said she had friends. So we we left her at a huge... Victoria Station's a big big station. Um, And this gets to your part. So Bond's like, of course I'm going to find her, dude. I've just had two martinis. I'm feeling pretty good. I could probably find anything right now. I'm feeling optimistic about this. Feels very optimistic. Hangs up the phone. Dude doesn't even get right to work. He goes and eats dinner. Yep. <laughs> He's like, all right, let me get my grub on. Doc, they get captured by the villain in the movie Dr. No, and Sean Connery and the woman are like in this like bunker, and they serve food. And Bond just starts eating. He's like, you know, eat up. And the woman's like, how can you eat like a time like this? And he's like, because I'm hungry and I don't know when I'll have a chance to eat again. And that's like so Bond. You know, he's like, gotta eat, need energy. Well, the reason I skipped over, but the reason I find it very amusing is Bond asks Valance, like, hey, do you know about Drax? Like, where does he go? What does he do when he's in London? And basically says to him, like, well, he's got this, like, little weird 
shack of a place right by Buckingham Palace, and then he he's going to be at Blades probably for about three hours, you know. But otherwise, I, I really don't know. Saban's so like, okay, it's eight o'clock. He's going to leave Blades at nine. Let me go eat first. So he and goes, without noticing what he was eating, Bond wolfed down some food. Yeah. And Bond doesn't even care what he's eating. Oh, yeah, Drax has this creepy place by Buckingham Palace. Gal is missing. Nothing's adding up here, but don't worry about that creepy shack of a place he's got. <laughs> that's yeah, not... Yeah, he probably... It's just he, a red herring. <laughs> he lives in the Ritz-Carlton, the fanciest hotel in London, but he probably takes women to the shack. Right. Because that, that makes sense. <laughs> like, women women love dating the richest man in the world and going to, like, some horrible murder shack that yeah. never... Nobody and questions so, the shack. Further, don't worry about it. We sent someone over there, and they rang the doorbell, and no one answered. So yeah. that lead's been exhausted. <laughs> don't you, I find this whole thing amusing. Like yeah, he's got so this Bond's weird, creepy place, quiet. Nobody knows what the fuck he does there. We rang the doorbell. I think we're good. I think we did all we and can there. And there's all the shady stuff happening, and like literally nobody goes to this place. Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody. he's got the Ritz car. The, the Ritz. He's got blades where we know a man can do what he wants with the waitresses, and it's only his business. Why would he be bringing girls to this, like, shack? <laughs> yeah, it makes literally no sense, but they're they're cool with that. They're, like, cognitive dissonance, like, rationalize it. He's boom, a rich boom, boom. weirdo, you know? Awesome. It's, it's cool. He's got his quirks. Um, so Bond heads over to Blades. He parks in the, um, in the taxi queue, and he's kind of, like, lurking there, pretending to read. You know, it's not like he's driving Did you... a very recognizable Bentley that right. Drax had just seen earlier that day and commented upon. But, you know, whatever. Did you notice the typo here? Uh, referring to Bond, he parked under the cover of the central row of taxis outside Boodles mm-hmm. and settled himself behind an evening paper over which he could keep his eyes on the section of Drax's Mercedes. Mm-hmm. They uh, typoed Boodles, man. Should be Blades. Just assume they were in the same street, and he's like outside Boodles watching the car over by Blades. I bet you Fleming wrote the whole book using Boodles, and probably the editor was like, ah, we should change the name, make it something fake. Huh. And they just missed yeah. this one because they didn't have Control-F uh, to replace them all. That could be. Interesting. But anyway, finally, which I, I guess he must have not been too far from Blades because he finished dinner at 8.45, we knew Drax was leaving Blades right around 9, and he had enough time to read the evening paper, so he must have been, like, around the corner or some shit. Drax comes out. He's got the cliche, you know, big heavy jacket up with probably a collar popped around his ears, cap pulled down over his eyes because nobody's going to notice that. Gets into his Mercedes. Uh, they drive back to the creep shack. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome spy driving. I mean, he's driving around London with his lights off so he's not to alert Drax that he's being followed. Um, and Drax is driving like a crazy person, and Bond's just trying to keep up in the Bentley. Right. It's pretty dangerous, right? And I imagine London is not a very well-lit city by 1955. No, probably not. So he's just whipping around following the the white Mercedes in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they get out of the city, and, and then it becomes like, a full, he's like blasting down these like country highways, like A20 into Dover and like doing roundabouts and like just trying to keep the Mercedes in his um, in his view. And he gets really close at one point. They stopped at like a light or something and he like yeah. pops it in neutral and he's like coasting up closer and closer and closer. And then the light changes and Drax and he, is off again in like fifth gear. And like, he says there's no sign of Gala except the hump of a rug over the narrow back seat. I just wrote, uh, dude, that's the sign. <laughs> that's the sign of Cal. Mm-hmm. 
note to self, she probably isn't really sick if they rolled her up in a rug and threw her in the back seat. Exactly. But again, why did they even bother? They set up like the, yeah, the just machinery left her in and they could have just left her in the room to blow up. And that yeah. would have been like the artistic death that you would hope for in a James Bond book. You know, the villain's always looking for the most artistic death. Right. But maybe he had a better idea. For as brilliantly um, maniacal as Bond villains are, they, they really do take the long road <laughs> when it comes to like killing people. Well, it all started um, with the, the voodoo Baron Samedi. Um, you know, the kind our, did, yeah. last, our last villain who just, he was just bored, you know, he just, right. yeah, they're la- they're scheduled to launch this rocket at 12 o'clock. Like, what are they worried that gal is going to get hungry mm-hmm. before the missile touches down and blows her to bits, you know? I know they already rolled her up in a rug. You just leave her there. <laughs> Makes no but sense. But no, they had to stop and grab her, throw her in the back of the car and then they light out. And so Bond's night he's this feels like um casino royale i mean he's chasing down exactly exactly a night car chase yep girl is tied up in the back um but bond kicks himself he's like oh man i was i was i've been a blind fool blind 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 he's like hitting his head on the steering wheel stupid stupid back in the day you could roll down the the front windshield of a car which i i'm guessing they thought at the time maybe made it more aerodynamic or something Mm-hmm. So when Bond realizes, like, okay, it's fucking go time, he, like, and again, no electronics here, so you see him, like, cranking the screw, like, put the windshield down, <laughs> <laughs> clicks it, locks it into place, gets out a pair of goggles, puts them over his eyes, he's like, let's fucking do this. <laughs> <laughs> Blast out. Which is gonna be especially brutal, I would imagine. At night with, like, bugs and well, things flying into your face. Yeah, they note that in the next chapter. Like, his face is just <laughs> smeared with bugs and sweat. <laughs> like, why don't you just keep the windshield up, dude? Do you really think you're going that much faster without it? He's got to feel the wind to really to really drive. It's so ridiculous. He has to, like, keep wiping down his goggles and whatnot. So, so basically, they're taking off, like, on the road. It says, a mile ahead, the great eyes of the Mercedes hooded themselves as they went over the crest of the Rontham Hill and disappeared down into the moonlit panorama of the Weld of Kent. Gotta save the girl and save the world. And never has it been more finely wrapped into one rolled up girl in the back of a car. (laughs) Chapter 20. Drax's Gambit. Gala wakes in the back of Drax's Mercedes, her body alive with pain. She can't see much, but she can feel Drax driving at full tilt. Against her will, her mind drifts back to the afternoon with Krebs and the horrible things he'd done to her. Yet, she hadn't told him anything. Instead, she'd held out until she'd fainted. As Drax slows down through Maidenstone, Gala can hear Krebs. He spotted Bond tailing them, and when the Prime Minister announces over the radio that the rocket is still being launched, Drax launches into braying laughter. He knows that Bond is truly alone. Gala knows it too, and quietly wishes Bond haste. From Bond's perspective, he's doing great. He's spitting bugs after low in the windscreen, sure, but He's keeping pace with the Mercedes. 
Suddenly, he's surprised by a third car jumping into the race. A young buck in a souped-up Alfa Romeo pops on its headlights behind him and passes Bond at full speed. Bond cheers on the young gun, who catches up to Drax, but watches in horror as Drax runs the kid off the road, surely killing him. Bond ramps up the chase, but Drax has outsmarted him. Drax orders Krebs to jump onto the back of a flatbed truck transporting enormous rolls of paper and cut them free. After Krebs leaps back into the moving Mercedes, Drax sees Bond wreck through his rear view. Uh, the car chase starts, right? So Drax's gambit is basically the car chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this chapter starts with um, Dallas' perspective again, which is pretty new and, and special to um, this book, where there's a lot of her perspective, of the woman's perspective in it. Right, so she was essentially blacked out. And so she's now coming to, opening paragraph is, there are three separate sources of pain in Gala's body. The throbbing ache behind her left ear, the bite of the flex at her wrists, and the chafing of the strap around her ankles. If there's kind of this contrast that comes out of this, by using Gala's perspective, um, it makes her less of an object. And like women can often be perceived as objects in James Bond novels. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she, like, very physically is an object in this. Like, she's tied up. She's like a package rolling around on the back, the floor of your back seat. you know? It's like that box of tissues that you threw back there or whatever. Like, she's an object to Drax and, and uh, Krebs at the same time that Fleming is trying to break her out of that role. Mm-hmm. And never one to disappoint, um, Fleming manages to squeak in the flashback in this chapter. So it's not a big flashback, but here, as Gal is coming to, on the next page, it kind of fills in the blanks of how she got there, right? Her afternoon with it's Krebs. It's super creepy. <laughs> My dinner with Krebs. <laughs> so, yeah, she flashes back and, and into a scene in which she's tied up to a chair in an attic, a room filled with the mechanical works of the, you know, the radio tracker that's going to bring the bomb, the Moonraker, on to London. And Krebs is working with the machinery, and he's talking to it, like, very, you know, sensually, like the way I talk to my dog, mm-hmm. you know. Fleming says, um, And so it had gone on with intervals of standing in front of Gala, picking his nose and sucking his teeth in horrible, in a horribly ruminative way. And I was like, dude, that's super gross. <laughs> and, like, such a caricature. To be a villain in the world of James Bond, you have to be disgusting. Mm-hmm. You know, James Bond's the good guy because he's handsome. Drax is the bad guy because he has terrible teeth and horrible red hair. And, you know, like, it's it's so it's so caricatured. So, yeah, he's basically talking to the machinery as if it's, like, his child. Yeah. In a weird way, my shot's calling it. And then uh, he goes over and, like, starts the kind of undress gala <laughs> as she's, like, tied to the chair. In real life, I mean, if he's the disgusting monster that he's being portrayed as, I mean, they would they would it would come to rape, like right? that would be the torture of um, of choice. But it's a little bit squiffy what actually happens to her. Yeah, he doesn't really follow through on much, so she starts mm-hmm. to like recoil at his touch, naturally so. And uh, then she asks for water, and he's like, "Oh right, I'll get you some water." And comes back with like a small amount of water. And then just starts like a like, shot glass. He brings her back a yeah. shot glass of water. Yeah, like a little is, uh, Dixie cup. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he just really. gazed at her speculatively from under his pale, drooping lids. So he just starts, like, staring at her. <laughs> very, very creepy. It is. He just sits there and looks at her until she starts asking questions. And then he comes up with this beautiful metaphor for what the machines are. Mm-hmm. And he says, that is a lure for little birds. Soon it will lure a little bird into this warm nest. Then the little bird will lay an egg. Oh, such a big round egg. Such a beautiful fat egg. And then he calls her a filthy English bitch. Yeah, that's how he punctuates it. Like, he's like, and the little crow might scare away the bird, you filthy English bitch. And so then he starts referring to her in that language. Um. What I find odd is it's here they start asking her, like, who are you working for? Right? Who does number two work for? I work for only Hugo. Who else could I be working for? Yeah, I mean, so apparently she's under the impression she's not supposed to say Scotland Yard. Yeah, she's like, I was curious about the flight plan. She starts letting him know what he's doing, and he's like, uh, yep, no, don't believe you at all. Mm-hmm. And then he puts his soft, crawling fingers on her body, probing, pinching, and pulling. Yeah, very weird. What a weird way mm-hmm. to torture. Yeah, is he just, like, feeling her just up? like, giving her purple nurples and stuff. While at a, the time, hot, vacant eyes gazed curiously into hers. Yeah, Until right. she finally spits in his face, basically. And that's when he, I guess, takes like a blackjack out and knocks her right. It wasn't a no, whole I mean, he had me in pause to wipe her face, but suddenly he had really hurt her. And she screamed once and then mercifully fainted. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he hits her with a blackjack or he just like grabs her hard or whatever. She mm-hmm. gets hurt. She passes out. And then she wakes up tied up in a car, banging around on her way out of London. Right. So she's basically identifying where, where they are by the sounds of the car because she can't see anything. Yeah, so now we come back to present time. She's in the car and she hears Drax talking in German. Well, I mean, so now we're getting out, we're getting into this car chase, right? And so the first thing that happens is she's tracking their All movements, right. but the first real moment is, you know, Krebs is always on top of shit. He's, he's pretty alert and he notices that James Bond's following them. He tells Drax. Drax is taken by surprise, but you know, he deals with it pretty quickly. And as a quick Uh, reminder, Bond is basically driving on a highway with his headlights off. Well, you know, he's seen by Krebs and Krebs says it is his car's been seldom been using its lights. So he's been turning it on when they when needed, but turning it off when they get close. But then what comes up from behind Bond but some uh kid in maybe his young 20s or something some some rich boy in a, a sexy mm-hmm. uh, sports car convertible what does it say the edge of the bonnet in bold white script the words attaboy two mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, there was a attaboy one already pretty crash it no big deal yeah and he basically passes by bond gives him the two rude fingers so uh, effectively the, the middle finger for for us americans so what's cool about this is that um this guy, this other driver is doing the same shit Bond's doing is driving without his headlights on. I guess this is a really common thing for people driving recklessly fast to be doing. Right. Um, but, you know, they switch perspectives from from Gala, who hears that James Bond is following, and she, she like, whispers to herself, James, there's only you left. Be careful, but make haste. And then it switches to Bond's perspective, and it's like, Bond's face was covered of... Was, was a mask of dusk and filthy with the blood of flies and moths that had been smashed against it because he 
you know, he's driving with no windscreen and his little goggles on, right? And he's, like, all messed up. And so he, like, now it's his perspective. But what happens, I love, is that this this um, preppy, you know, drag racer boy, like, flips on his headlights right behind Bond, slams on his horns, like, and the horn sound is, I don't know why, it's pom pim pom pam yeah. pom pim pom pam that's how I imagine it. So he flips on his lights, pump him, pump him, and then like smashes by Bond, giving him the finger. Yeah. Like out of nowhere. It's kind of a cool move. All I'm saying. So he's driving mm-hmm. an Alfa Romeo. Bond estimates either 32 or 33 um, and figures the size of his engine is about half uh, that of Bond's. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Bond is driving a Targa Florio, if anyone is interested in engines. And then Bond, and Bond like loves this kid. Bond's like, that's a cool kid. <laughs> Well, because Bond, you know, we learned that he messed around on the racing circuit when he was a kid, so he was that kid. But he loves it. This guy just totally caught me off guard without his headlights and flipped me the bird and uh, left. Mm -hmm. What a uh, man. And went, pump him, pump him. Pump him. (laughs) Yeah, and so he imagines that this kid probably gets excited to pull up to the Merc, does the same thing, flips on the headlights, hits his pump him, pump him. And Drax is like, nope. I guess the way you could describe it is he like he like butt bumps him. He like whips his back end out and like hits the front end of this boy's Alfa Romeo as he's trying to pass and sends the kid like into a ditch flipping upside down and whatnot. And has Krebs looks back and Krebs like, yeah, I think he's burnt. Yep, there's flames. We got flames, flames, boss. We killed him. <laughs> Good we job. Killed him. This poor kid was just trying to pass you. Now yeah. just fucking knocked him off the road and totally ruined his evening. It ruined his evening. He's dead. He's going to be dead. I don't know any worse way to ruin your evening. I mean... Yeah, he was going 105 miles an hour, reflected Bond. The so grotesque Bond flight of the red car as it turned over and over. The flying figure of the driver, his arms and legs spread eagle as he soared out of the driving seat. Bond drives past the car and he notes the, quote, horrible graffiti on the black skid marks of the tarmac. Mm-hmm. But his mind recorded one final macabre detail. Yeah. Somehow, undamaged in the Holocaust, the windhorn was still making contact, and its ulations were going on up to the sky, stridently clearing imaginary roads for the passage of Attaboy 2. Pom pim pom pam. Yeah. Pom pim. You imagine it like kind of. <laughs> it really is a macabre detail, and I find like the most moving, like things in literature or you know in reality like when you see something in reality that's horrific like there's details about it that you know and that stick with you that are just like so odd and you wouldn't think to say unless you you know it's just those weird like reality being stranger than fiction kind of things and somehow he found one to put in sort of amusing thing and that that does it for bond he's like well i just witnessed him murder somebody now now it's war yeah which is straight bullshit bullshit like, he saw them drag a girl rolled up in a rug out of, like, a flat and throw her in the back of their car, and, like, that wasn't a sign that, that he was a maniac and a criminal and yeah. a dangerous monster. He needed more justification, for sure. He, yeah, apparently needed more justification. When, meanwhile, he's the kind of straight psychotic driver that would do the same thing. He admired the kid, yeah. <laughs> well, he admired the kid, but it doesn't mean, like, Drax didn't admire the kid, but was too competitive to let him pass. Yeah, pretty That doesn't up. sound very far different from James Bond. That's it for Bond. He reaches under the dashboard and grabs a 45 Colt Army Special. Don't think it's a typo, but we'll get to it in the next chapter. They talk about 
Drax pulling a Beretta out. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll point that out too. So I wonder where the discrepancy is here. But odd for Bond to have an American gun, right? 45 Colt Special lays it on the seat behind him. The battle was now in the open, and somehow the Mercedes must be stopped. Wasn't that you know, your game all along, Bond, to stop the in Mercedes? The de- in the defense of uh, Fleming, I, I'm the way I'm imagining it is he um, got two guns. He's ta- he has two guns, right? This is mm. the gun that's in his dashboard. He he probably has the Beretta on his person. Right. He's probably got the Beretta in that shoulder holster or something, right? Right. And this is his like driving gun. Come on, <laughs> you don't have a driving gun. Yeah. Are you even American? So now Bond knows the jig is up, and he starts taking it, and Drax, like a light bulb going off in his head, has an idea and turns to Krabs and says, get out your knife. So here's Drax's plan. I'm going to slow down behind this lorry, take your shoes and socks off, and climb out onto the bonnet, and when I come up behind the lorry, jump on it. So basically they're following, they find like a newspaper truck. I shall be going at a walking pace. It will be safe. Cut the ropes that hold onto the rolls of paper. The left ones first, then the right. I shall have pulled up level with the lorry, and when you have cut the second lot, jump into the car. Be careful you are not swept off with the paper. Verstanden? Also, Hals und Breinbruck. Why is he speaking in English and switching to German? I would think he'd just be speaking German the whole time. It's a little silly, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I've never seen newsprint rolls, but, you know, I imagine they're enormous. Well, we weren't around in the 50s, were we? Well, they still do it today. They just don't ship it in uncovered trucks. That seems yeah. like a recipe for disaster in England. It just doesn't seem smart. Yeah, so he turns off his headlights. And uh, I love how Krebs is like, you got it, boss. I trust you. <laughs> yeah, Krebs will do anything. That dude's crazy. Seems like a bad idea. Here's what I imagine. Drax turns to Krebs and he's like, Krebs, we're going to go Donkey Kong on him. Because they're, they're playing Donkey Kong here. They're throwing barrels at James Bond. Pretty like much, they, yeah. And so they, they roll these barrels at him, and guess what? Bond has never played King Kong. The game has not been invented yet. He's unaware of the phenomenon of barrels rolling at you. Yeah, it's true. All of us know about gorillas throwing barrels, and we know to watch exactly. out for these things. And that's where it came from. I mean, how many times was Drax described as an ape in this? Mm-hmm. It's true. At least, at least like half a dozen. He's got all that reddish hair. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So these these giant rolls of paper roll down the road, and you know, Bond whips around a corner, and you you are now we're now from the perspective of uh, Drax and Krebs, and we just see the headlights of Bond's Michelin headlights arc and, straight up into the night sky. And you would think, since Bond actually has his headlights on, he would have been able to see this happening. Yeah, there was a there was a, a appropriate road situation for Donkey Konging someone. So Bond's car goes leaping up forward, and as again, this is important for the start of the next chapter. Bond, remember, took his windshield down. Mm-hmm. So could abs- and I'm sure was not wearing a seatbelt. I don't even think they put seatbelts in the car in the 30s. So could have easily been launched from it. Fleming always the one to end a chapter. I, I think with some of his best writing says, a great barking laugh broke out of Drax as for the split second he took his eyes off the road and raised his face triumphantly toward the stars. So he's like baying at the stars here with his laughter, driving away. Mm -hmm. 
Eggs and Espionage is mixed, edited, and redolently produced by Flashback Productions. Music in this episode is brought to you by Big Plot Hole. Thank you for joining us in Season 3 as we explore Ian Fleming's Moonraker, the third novel in his James Bond series. In the next episode, Bond and Gala are tied up to chairs, threatened, then prepared for, and later subjected to a very, very lengthy monologue. All coming up on Eggs and Espionage, The Origins of James Bond.